So how do you find it if the destination's unknown? How do you get there? I think about traveling. I think of four ways that we try to get to a place. One is by trial and error. Before I had a GPS, I was one of those typical men that I would drive around. I'm trying to find a place, and if I couldn't find it, I wouldn't stop and ask for directions. I would just keep looking and looking and looking, and I wasted a lot of time. I wasted a lot of miles, probably wasted a lot of gas, driving around looking for things instead of just stopping and asking for directions. That's a trial and error approach. And I believe that a lot of times that's how we, we feel when we're trying to find God's will. It's by trial and error. And we're just wandering in darkness trying to find something. Like, I want to know God's will for my life. But we're, we're kind of lost out there. And uh, you probably feel like I felt. You know, I'm wasting a lot of time, wasting a lot of mileage, not getting anywhere, not finding anything. And time goes by, and you still don't know God's will. You haven't found it. Another way that we try to find an unknown destination is we use a map. Well, the map will tell you from here to there on how to get there. But when it comes to God's will, God never gives you a map. You usually only know the next step ahead. A lot of the rest is, like, I don't know. Like, God doesn't reveal everything at once. Sometimes all you know is, well, I think I should do this, and you take a step in that direction, but it's, it's more like the GPS, where you follow the GPS, and you just know when the next turn is coming up, but that's all you know. The rest of it, you don't know yet. So we try to find God's will, but we're still lost. We just, we can't see very far ahead, and we're walking down a path, and we're not even sure if we're on the, the right path to begin with, because we're only seeing one step at a time. Or another way that we try to find an unknown destination is we use a, a compass. And it would say, you know, 8 degrees this way, and then go 14 degrees that way, and then go, you know, 9 degrees southwest, or whatever it would say. But the compass only works if you know where you are and you know where you're headed. A lot of times, we don't even know where we are. We don't even know where we are. We certainly don't know where we're headed, so we can't find the direction that we're trying to go into and a fourth way that you find an unknown destination is, which is the best way, is you have a guide. If I want to get somewhere, and I have a personal guide that's already been there, he knows how to go, he knows the way, he knows the dangers, he knows uh, when I should go right, when I should go left, he knows don't go over there, that's going to distract you. If you have a personal guide, you're going to get there. Someone that knows the directions, that's walking with you or driving with you or moving with you, you're going to get there. I like that because that's the best way to use, and that's the way that God gives us. I'm saying, how can I know God's will for my life? How do I know? Well, God gives you a personal guide. He gives you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to help direct you. Look at Psalms 32, verses 8 and 9. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I like that. I want God to instruct me. I want God to teach me in the way I should go because I get lost. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? What's your will for this? What's your will for that? It goes on to say, and I will counsel you and watch over you. But it goes on to also say this, don't be like the horse or the mule. Why? Because they're stubborn. They're stubborn when it comes to uh, doing something that they don't know about. They're going to resist. It says, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by the bit and the bridle, or they won't come to you. You put that bit in their mouth, and you control them because it hurts. It hurts their mouth. So that's how you control them because they don't really want to do what you want them to do. 
So you're having to guide them and manipulate them and force them in a direction. And what God is saying here is, don't be stubborn like a mule. Don't be resistant. One of the reasons that we don't find God's will for our life is we're just resistant. We don't really want to do what God wants. We want to do our own thing. And as long as I'm resistant, he's not going to be able to work with that. But if you have a willing heart and you say, God, I want you to make a difference in my life. I want you to guide me. Then he's going to use these guidelines in your life to guide you. So let's look at these guidelines. Number one in your notes, relax. One of the most common mistakes in God's will is we get too anxious and uptight and worried. We can't relax because we think we're going to miss it. Have you seen those people that walk those tight ropes? And if they make one misstep, one thing off balance, boom, they're gone, right? And that's how we think it is with God's will. We're so afraid that we're going to miss it. We're so afraid that I'm going to make the wrong decision that we don't make any decision. We do nothing with our life because the fear of what if I blow it prevents us from doing anything good, right? Because if I mess up, then I'm no longer on that perfect line to what God wants. I'm here to tell you that you're going to mess up. It's just a part of life. God and his great wisdom will even use that to guide you. What happens is it affects our thinking because we start thinking it all depends on me. I've got to figure out what God wants me to do. And I don't think you're going to be able to figure out what God wants you to do. I think it's too hard. It's like my children. Let's say to my kids, I say, I've got a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. And if you follow this plan, you're going to be successful and it's going to please me. You're going to have a great family. It's going to give you purpose and meaning. And because I love you, I want to give you this plan. And my kids say, oh, that's great. Awesome. What's the plan, Dad? What's the plan? I said, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You've got to figure it out on your own. Now, what kind of dad does that? I've got a great plan for you, but you've got to figure it out on your own. That's like dad saying, you're going to fail. You're going to be unsuccessful. No wonder we'd be worried. No wonder we'd have anxiety because that's what we think God does to us. And he doesn't. God wants to guide us. And he makes his methods of guidance clear in Scripture. If you do certain things, he will guide you in the direction that you need to go. Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because if you lean on your own understanding... It's hard for me to understand what God's will for my life is. I'm in a decision. Do I take this job or that job? You know, do I go to this college or that college? It's too hard. You know, I'm, I'm trying on my own understanding. I don't know if I'm going to make the right decision. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What this is saying is, I need to trust God to guide me. I need to trust God to lead me in the direction on the straight path. I can't trust in my own understanding because I'm human. There's so many, many things I won't know. But it also tells me this, I can relax because then it's God's responsibility and not mine. Do you know that we don't have to worry about it? What's God's will for your life? And you get worried. No, you don't have to worry about it. You can relax. If God really wants you to do it, don't you think he's going to help you to understand it? Now, I can do things purposely to rebel against God and not listen to him. But I'm saying, if you're honestly trying to seek God, God, I want to know what you want me to do, I think you can relax. He's going to guide you. There's a trust factor. That's where faith comes in. 
I have enough faith to believe that if God wants to do something with my life, he's going to guide me there. That doesn't mean that I don't do anything. There's things that the scripture teaches us to do. But I can relax. I don't have to get stressed out, worried about what if I go down the wrong road? I'm trying, but what if I get it wrong? No, just relax and watch how God will guide you. That's one of the things. Okay, God, you're in control. I'm relaxed about it. I'm going to trust you to guide my direction. Number two, be willing to obey in advance. Here's what really makes a difference. Look at Psalms 40, verse 8. To do your will, oh my God, is my desire. What he's saying is, before he even knows what God's will is, I'm going to do it. And here's the attitude. I want to know God's will for my life, so I'm relaxing, trusting him, but I have to have a heart's attitude. God, no matter what it is, no matter where it is, no matter what the situation is, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. No matter what it costs me, no matter what sacrifice I have to make, if you say to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's where we lose it. Because people want God's will as long as it's on their terms, which obviously isn't God's will. That's your will, right? But I have to come to the point like, God, no matter what it is, I've decided I'm going for it. Until your heart is in the right place, he's not going to reveal his will to you because you won't listen to it anyway. What we'll have a tendency to do is, here's, God, what I really want is for you to tell me your will so that I can look at it and decide whether or not I'll do it. It's not really anything about what you want for my life. It's me checking it out and seeing if I want that for my life. So until I reach that point, God, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. You're not ready to hear from God. You've got to be willing to go for it no matter what. Now, God and God's grace, I can at least share with my life. The moment that I committed my life to Christ, that no matter what, I'm going for you. He didn't reveal to me at that point that I was going to be a pastor. And if he would have revealed to me at that point, I probably wouldn't have believed it, first of all. It was something I had no desire to do. But I'll tell you this, I would have pursued it because I'd already made a decision. I would have been scared to death because that's the last thing in the world I would have ever imagined. But I would have pursued it. Why? Because I already made a commitment, no matter what you want, got him going. But here's what God actually does, at least in my life. He didn't reveal it to me when I made the commitment. Okay? God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do no matter what. That's not when he revealed to me that I'm going to be a pastor. That's when he had my life. So at that point, I thought I was going to be a teacher and a coach at a high school, and that was what I liked doing. But God allowed me to go through this experience and that experience and this experience. He started shaping me and preparing me. And by the time it was revealed to me that he called me to be in the ministry, by that time, I was ready to hear the news. I was ready. So God, in his mercy and his grace, he didn't just tell me way back then when it would have scared me to death. I would have thought, oh, how am I going to do that? I'm not wired like that. I can't be a pastor. He didn't tell me back then. But once I gave my heart to him, I said, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. He started shaping me for that. So he can change your desire. Your desire right now might not be what he wants you to do. But once you make that decision, God, no matter what it is, I'm going to do it. No matter what it is, no matter what it costs me, I'm going to do it. 
no matter what it is. Once you make that decision, he can start working in your life and shaping you to get you to where you want to be. It might be in the direction that you think that you're going. It might not automatically change. Maybe the direction that you're going is exactly what he's going to fulfill. But it might be something different. But he works with you to get you there. Number three, make sure that you're in fellowship with God. Make sure that you're in fellowship with God. I can't be in rebellion to God. I think he's going to guide me. You know, God guides you when you're walking with him, not when you're resisting him. In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. A living sacrifice. What is that? Back in those days, in the Old Testament, they used to have sacrifices. And what they would do is, it was like a feast. To help us understand what happened, here's what people do. You take an animal, you slaughter the animal, you eat it, and everybody has a big meal together, right? We do the same thing. We eat animals. Okay, but here's what they would do back at that time when they were having this type of ceremony. They would just add some, it's the same thing. It's a big party, everybody getting together. But what they would do is they would do something different when they were doing a sacrifice. They would place their hands on the animal and... It symbolically meant our sins are going on this lamb, for example. And this lamb is going to die as a sacrifice for our sins to be symbolic of I'm guilty and he paid the price. It's, it, was, it was a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the lamb of God. So the sacrifice was Jesus sacrificing and dying on the, on the cross. He did, but dying as a sacrifice on my behalf. I'm not good enough to reach God because of I blow it. My sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did. But they would do that before Jesus came. They would do that with the lamb, the ceremony. And then they'd have the sacrifice, and the priest would eat it, and everybody have a big celebration. And it was a fun gathering. It was a fun gathering. It wasn't something big and gory that I, like people might think. It was just they added in ceremony, symbol, symbolic things at those ceremonies to help us to think about my sins are forgiven because of the lamb of God, which we know to be Jesus Christ today. So, this verse says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's the difference between a living sacrifice and the sacrifices they did. A living sacrifice can walk off that altar anytime they want to. Right? So, you're offering your body as a living sacrifice. So, you say, God, I'm giving myself to you. But you still have a free will as a living sacrifice. You have the free will to walk away from that anytime you want to. On the positive side of that, it's a... It's a willing choice. You've chosen to walk to the altar and say, God, I'm a living sacrifice for you. I'm giving my life 100% totally to you. I want to be in relationship with you. If I want to know God's will, it has everything to do with, am I in harmony with God? Am I in fellowship with God? If I'm rebelling against God, if I'm resisting God, I'm not going to know his will for my life. I'm in resistance. He's not going to share it with me. I'm resisting him. If I'm in fellowship with him, if I'm in harmony with God, now he can reveal his will for my life. A fourth thing is search the scriptures. God's will is found in the Bible. 99, well, probably 95% of everything that God wants you to do is in the Bible. So if you search the scriptures, you're going to know God's will. For example, The Bible doesn't tell you what college to go to, like I said 
earlier when you, you know, there's some decisions, but he tells you how to act at school. Why is that? Because that's more important to God. It's more important to God how you act at school than what school you pick. The Bible doesn't tell you which job to pick. It tells you what type of person to be at work. Why is that? Because apparently to God, it's more important how you act at work than where you actually work. But God doesn't even, God doesn't even tell you who to marry. He tells you how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife. Why is that? Because as important as it is who you marry, because that's important, right? It's more important to God how you act as a husband, how you act as a wife. God doesn't tell you how many kids to have, but he tells you how to be a good parent to those kids. Why is that? Because it's more important to God how you act as a parent than how many kids you have. So the most important things of God's will is in God's word. So if you want to know what's God's will of my life, study God's word. You're thinking, well, my big issue is, do I take this job or that job? And I'm saying that's a minor issue. The big issue is what kind of person are you going to be at whatever job you have? That's the major issue. That's your character. That's what's really important. Those other decisions are minor. We, we make the minor decision major. We make the major decision minor. We get it switched around. You know, so it's a lot more. God's more concerned about my character than the circumstances around my life. What type of character am I going to have in those circumstances? That's what's going to make me you know, good and acceptable, acceptable and pleasing to God. So I want to search the scriptures. I want to study the scriptures so I know his will for my life because 95% of it is going to be in there. If I'm going to get married, I want to know everything the Bible says about marriage before I get married, right? If I'm going to have kids, I want to know everything what the Bible says about having kids or being a parent before I have the kids. If I'm going to take a job, I want to know everything the Bible says about what it means to be a good worker before I take the job before I start working. I want to study the scripture so I know how to live. I want to look at the principles that I find in there. I want to look at the commands, the examples to follow, the promises that you find in there. So almost anything when it comes to God's will is going to be in the scriptures. Those are the most important things. Then I still think God will guide you when you're doing these type of things to the choice of what university to go to and those type of things. But first get the most important thing. Be the right type of person. And you get that and you learn that from the scripture. But don't treat the Bible like some sort of superstition approach. I heard this person saying to me one time, um, I want God to speak to me, so I just kind of open my Bible randomly. And that's superstition. Okay, because the Bible says study the scriptures. It doesn't say use it like a magic trick or something. It's not going to work like that. I heard another story. I don't know if it's true, but I heard a pastor saying this, and I thought, wow, that, that would make sense. This person opened up the Bible, and they were doing this superstitious approach. Like, I want God to speak to me. And it said, Judas went out and killed himself. Well, what? that can't be what God's saying to me. Then he turned the pages. Go thou and do likewise. If you, stay, if, you, if you treat the Bible like a superstition, you're going to go off and do something stupid. If you study the scriptures, you'll get everything in context, right? It'll be in context with everything else, and you'll know what it's talking about. But you just pick the Bible like that, you, you, you're putting yourself in danger. Because Bible, the Bible never says to do that. God never teaches that. Jesus never teaches that. But they teach you to study the scriptures. That's a different thing 
than blindly picking and choosing and things like that. So study the scriptures, and that will guide you to God's will. And God's will is never going to be contrary to God's word. So if you say like, well, God wants me to do this, but the Bible says don't do that. I'm telling you, it's not God that you're listening to. God would never tell you to do something when the Bible says not to. You say, but my situation's different. What makes you think that you're so special that the rest of the world is supposed to obey God and you're not? No, your, your situation is not different. God said this, and that's what you're supposed to be. If you study the scriptures, 95% of every decision you need to make is clearly known. But you still don't know like what university to take. You still don't know some of the answers. Number five, pray for God's wisdom. In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. One of the reasons we might not know what God's will is, we're just not praying about it. Pray about it. Ask God to reveal it to you. God, I need wisdom. These, that's a verse that does help with the decision on what job should I take? I've got two offers. I want to take the best one. What job? You're asking God for wisdom. But a lot of times you'll pray and pray and you still don't know for sure. Have you ever been in a situation that you don't even know what to pray for? Like, God, I don't even know what to pray for. I'm just at a loss. Here's a good verse. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, because sometimes we have this weakness of not knowing. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. This is saying, when you receive Jesus in your life, when you put your faith in Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you. Can you imagine that? We're walking around with God living in us simply because of our faith in Christ. And it says that the Spirit intercedes for you. That means prays for you. So you have God's Spirit in you praying for you during these times of weakness when you don't know what to pray. I like that. That gives me security because there's a lot of times I don't know what to pray. I can think of times that I was really like hurt and devastated by things and literally all I had in my prayer life was groaning. I didn't have words to express how I felt. I was just deeply devastated and hurt. And I believe that through those groanings, somehow the Spirit of God was praying through that. And God understood. And God knew what I needed in a time that I was just emotionally at a loss. I didn't know what to do. But the Spirit of God is in you, working through you, even to pray for you at times that you don't know what to do. Ask God for wisdom. God will answer uh, that. He will give you wisdom, but ask him for it. Number six, get the facts. Get the whole story. Investigate things. We all know that when you hear one side of the story, you're not getting the whole truth. You have to hear both sides of the story to get the whole truth. One side might be swayed, but you hear the other side, then you have more understanding. Well, that's how God wants us to be. God wants us to use our brain. You know, he gave it to us. Let's use it. We want to we want to rely on some of the things that God gave us, which is reason. Proverbs 23, 23 says, get the facts at any price and hold on tightly to all the good sense you can get. That means God wants you to get the facts. It says here in Proverbs 19, 20, get all the advice you can and be wise the rest of your life. Get all that advice. See, some people, 
who say things like, I'm just following the Spirit. I'm just following the Spirit of God. And what they mean by that is they're following their feelings. They're following their feelings. Instead of what the Bible says, the spiritual thing to do would be get the facts. But they're too lazy to spend time getting the facts. So it's easy to say, I'm just following the Spirit of God, which is just their own feelings. They haven't studied the facts to see what's out there. And they spiritualize it as if that's something holy and good to do. And the Bible says the complete opposite. It says, you want to be spiritual? Get the facts. Here's how Jesus said it. No man builds a tower without first counting the cost. No, no, no. I'm going to build this tower, and I'm just following the Spirit of God. I'm not going to take time to get the facts and see if I have enough money. I'm just going to follow the Spirit of God. And what's that? That's foolishness. That's blaming God for me not using my mind when God would never tell me to do that to begin with. No man goes to war without first counting his army to see if he's had enough soldiers. These are, that's Jesus speaking. No, no, no. I'm just going to follow the Spirit, and we're going to go to uh, war because it feels like that's the right way to go. You might be following a spirit. It's not the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says, get the facts, study things out. God would not tell you to study things out and then later on say, just blindly follow your feelings and, and say it's the Spirit. You know, and get other people to blindly follow you. Isn't that what Jim Jones did? I mentioned him a few weeks back, you know, how he got everybody to drink that poison Kool-Aid. Why? They were following the Spirit. It was a spirit, maybe a demon or something. It wasn't the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God wouldn't get people to commit suicide, right? So follow the facts. Make sure that you, you know, look into it. And that includes the facts about your own life. Let's say that you feel like God's calling you to do something. Is it something you feel like this is what God wants me to do? And you feel like it's God. I feel like this is God, what God wants me to do. So what do you do? You check the facts. I feel like God wants me to be a worship leader. Wait, wait, I have to check the facts. Do I play any instruments? No. Can I sing? No. <laughs> Don't be a worship leader. Right? It doesn't matter what I feel. If it's not, if I follow the facts, I know that that's not what I'm supposed to be. I have no gift and talents in that way. Everybody's seen American Idol, right? You know how they have the preliminary part. It's so funny because there's people out there that really believe that they can sing and they're horrible, you know, because they're not following the facts. They're following their dreams. Their dreams can be wrong, right? They're following their feelings. Their feelings are evidently wrong. And even when the judges tell them that they can't sing, they think it's the judge that's crazy instead of them. Have you seen that? You know, like, no, I can sing. It's, it's, I'm good. They just don't like me. It's his fault. It's not my fault. Proverbs 24, 6 says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Get advice. Get advice. But not from one person. Get advice from a lot of people. The reason why it says in a multitude of counselors is if you get advice from one person, even though there's somebody that you trust, they might not see an area of your life. Like I say, talk to your parents. Because your parents know a lot of things about you that you might not even see. Then talk to your brothers and sisters. Then talk to, you know, key spiritual leaders that you know. And, and talk to a variety of people because it says in the multitude of counselors. That's a lot. Their safety. Get advice from a lot of people and it can guide you. You might hear that first person and they give you advice on a subject. And you say, wow, that sounds great. I'm going to do it. But after talking to the next seven, you sober up. 
And you say, wait a minute, maybe that's not the best way for me to go. That's why you never just talk to one counselor. You get as many people as you can that are trusted. You know, you want to get people that you trust. Get as many people as you can that are trusted, and then you'll have the wisdom that says for safety. So you want to know what's God's will for my life? Talk to people. A lot of times they see giftedness in you that you don't, like you might talk to your husband or wife, and they say, you're really good at such and such. And you say, wow, I've never noticed that. But you start thinking about it. I guess I do naturally do that. It's amazing how many things that we're good at doing, that we're gifted at, that because we're gifted at it, we just don't pay attention to it so much. And we don't notice it until someone points it out. Like, you're really good at that. And then you start thinking about it, and you find out that, wow, maybe I can do that. And it starts to open up your mind for the Spirit, now that you have an open mind to it, for the Spirit to lead you in a way that He wants you to do. And then you say, wow, I'm doing God's will in my life. I never knew that I would be able to do something like this. Then number seven is consider your desires. Ask yourself, what do I really want? Why do I want it? See, the reason why people think their desires are dangerous is in the Bible it says the heart can be deceitfully wicked. And it can, right? Can't the heart be wicked? But not everything you desire is wicked. For example, if you said, if I said, if you could do anything for God, what would you desire to do? And someone says, I love working with kids. That's probably a good desire, right? There's nothing deceitfully wicked in that. I really like uh, teaching Bible studies. There's nothing wicked about that. That's a desire. That's good. Uh, if I could do anything for God, I really desire, I love singing. I love to sing. Maybe I could try being on the worship team. There's nothing wicked about that. You know, I love helping the poor. I would like to, like, get involved some way where we help feed the poor or the homeless. There's nothing wicked about that. In the Bible, it says in Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The key thing is to delight yourself in the Lord, which means, God, what would you want me to do? Or a better way to say is this, God, if I could do anything for you, for him, what would I want to do? Just that line of thinking isn't going to be like, God, uh, you know, if I could do anything for you, God, I would rob a bank. No, because you already know that you wouldn't do that for God because that's not what God would want you to do. So when it says delight yourself in the Lord, this is coming from the point that you're seeking after something for God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. A lot of the desires you have are really, really good. When you're delighting yourself in the Lord, when you're seeking out like, God, I want to do something for you. So look at the desires you have. A lot of those passions are good. Look at Psalms 84:11. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright, uprightly. In other words, if you're trying to do a good thing, like, God, you know, if I could do anything for you, you know, I would find a way to help people that were out of work to find a job. That's a good thing, right? Why would God withhold that from you? That's a good desire. Pursue it. That could be God's will for your life. That, that God starts using you to help other people find jobs that are desperately in need of a job. You know, that's a great thing. In Psalm 145, verse 19, it says, He will fulfill the desires of those who fear Him, who reverence Him. So what's, what's the desire of someone who fears God or reverences him? What that means, is not, it doesn't necessarily mean like, I'm, a, I'm afraid of God, I'm afraid of God. It doesn't mean that. What it means is when you have reverence for God, you're thinking like, same type of thing. Wow, 
God, I want my life to count for you. God, what is it that I would like to do for you? Where's my gifts and talents and lineup that can do something great for you? And it, it, it says he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. So if you're going for God and you're saying, God, I want to do something great for you, he's going to guide you. He wants those doors opened up. He's going to give you a fulfilling life. If you commit to doing God's will, no matter what, like I'm going to do it, and you pray and you search the scriptures and you're in fellowship with God, you're not in rebellion, and you're relaxed and you're trusting God, you can look at your desires. And you can say, because that's the type of person that's desiring the things after God. You can look at your desires and say, God, you know, this is what I would love to do. And trust him and pursue it. And pursue it. What's the worst thing that can happen if you try to pursue something good? Like you say that you want it to, maybe it was something related to 12 steps. Maybe uh, you were uh, alcoholic and 12 steps have turned your life around and you want to use the 12-step system like in a church setting maybe to help people with an addiction or whatever. You know, what's the, what's the worst that can happen? You try it and it just doesn't ever get off the ground. It doesn't work. You try it and it just doesn't get off the ground. That's the worst that can happen. In other words, nothing bad can happen trying to do something good. But I'll tell you this, a lot of good things can happen trying to do something good. Let's say that it was really good and a lot of people are coming. And later on, you come to the conclusion that I feel like God is now leading me to something else. Now that's off the ground. It's running. It's having great success. There's other people that are taking it over. And it would have never happened if you didn't try. Because maybe that was God's will for your life in that moment. But now he's going to use you for something else. Because God does that. You're being used in one way, and then later on he uses you for something else. But the point is, nothing happens if you don't try. And that's what takes us to number eight. In faith, you make a decision. In faith, you just make a decision. I'm not 100% sure. Is this going to work? I'm not 100% sure. Doesn't matter. In faith, you make a decision and you try. Look at Proverbs 16.9. We should make our plans counting on God to direct us. We make our plans, but we count on God to direct us. I think of the space shuttle. It has a guidance system in it that they put millions and millions of dollars into it that's useless if the space shuttle is on the ground. The guidance system only works when it's moving, right? Think of a rudder on a ship. The rudder on a ship is useless when it's at dock. It's only good when it's in the water, when the boat's in the water moving. Now that rudder can guide it everywhere. But the rudder on dry land is useless. A car that's parked, you can steer it to the right, you can steer it to the left as much as you want to, but it's useless. You're wasting your time. Why? The car is in park. All of those things can only have success and get into where they need to be when they start moving. Even if the car is moving in the wrong direction, at least it's moving. You can turn it around. But a parked car is never going anywhere. And that's the issue. Is my life a parked car? Is my life a parked car? Is it not going anywhere? So you have to take a step of faith. By faith, I've got to at least try. I've got to at least step out there and try to do something. If I'm so afraid I'll make a mistake, I'll never get anything done. 
The other thing is even our mistakes, God uses our humanity. He does. So I'm human. I make a mistake, and God says, okay, I'm going to use that because now you know that doesn't work. Then you adjust it. Then go this way. Well, God's going to use that because now you know that that doesn't work when you make another mistake. So he adjusts it. Because don't you learn by stepping out in faith and just going for it, and then you learn along the way? Because the general direction is right. But then there's a learning process that you're not going to know unless you're moving. But if I'm staying at home waiting for God to zap me and tell me what God's will is, it's never going to happen. God's not going to zap you and say, go over here. Or zap you. you know, you're going to, by faith, have to take a step. And when you line up everything, you look at your, you know, you prayed about it, you searched scripture, you got wise counsel, you did everything, and it really seems clearly this is the direction I should go. It's still a step of faith. You still don't know 100% until you go for it. If there's anybody that should know 100% of what they should go do, I would say Paul. Because Paul wrote more of the bio, books in the Bible and the New Testament. He wrote the most of them. So this is a guy that does hear God because he's writing down Scripture. So if anybody's going to get it right, it's him. And even he, when God told him to go to the Gentiles, you can read it in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. But as you read it, you're going to notice he tried Asia. It didn't work. He, he went from one place to another to another. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in the province of Asia. What that means is they tried to go into Asia, and it didn't work out. Well, why would, God make, why would Paul make that mistake? Why wouldn't Paul already know? Because that's not the way that God works with you. Paul just knew, I, God's called me to go to the Gentiles. Let's try Asia, because he's obeying God. God said, go. It didn't work. Well, I guess that means that God didn't call me, right? No. But that means that that door's closed. It doesn't mean that God didn't call you. So then it goes on to say, he came to the border of Messiah. They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So now they're going, let's try here. Another failure. It's not happening. The door is closed. Then it goes on to say they passed by Messiah and went to Troas. Nothing happens in Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul, somebody that wrote scripture, God spoke to him, he wrote down scripture, was on his ministry doing God's will and didn't know where to go. Paul tried Asia, didn't work. Went over here, didn't work. Went to Troas, didn't work. Finally, God revealed it to him to go to Macedonia. And this wasn't small things. They're walking to Asia. We're not talking about like a jet plane. They're walking with everything they have. They're living off the land, trying to make it get over there. A major sacrifice just to find out that that's not where they want us. Then they're walking back to another place. You know, it takes days and days, living off the land, suffering, getting there just to find out no. It wasn't small things. These were major, major big commitments that they were making to try to get there, only to find out the door is closed. Well, I think that's what God's going to do to you, by the way. Here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, go for it. Go for it. And, and 
you're going to try things, and well, that didn't work. And your temptation is going to be, well, maybe God doesn't want me to do this. And the answer is, no. God doesn't, maybe God doesn't want you to give up. Maybe God wants to see if you're really serious. Maybe God wants you to learn from your mistakes. Maybe God wants you to try better or adjust it and do it differently. And then you do that. And then you're saying, okay, that was better, but not good enough. Maybe I should quit. No. Maybe God's still teaching you. Maybe you're still learning from him. And then you adjust it. You do this. But that's how God works for people. It's not just Paul. That's how God works. You look at every successful person. They'll tell you a story of how this didn't work and that didn't work, and they learned this and they learned that, and then they picked up this, and then it took off. You know what the difference between winners and losers are? Winners just don't know how to quit. They don't know how to quit. So they just keep going, and they just keep going, and they just keep going. If you keep going, you're going to get somewhere. Guaranteed failure. Park the car. Okay? Try, get somewhere. Just the fact that you're taking a step of faith and going for it, you're going to find something. The Bible says in Hebrew, without faith, it's, in, it's impossible to please God. So faith is always going to be a part of it. There's always going to be that risk like, I'm just going to try by faith and go for it. And then number nine, let circumstances confirm God's will. I'm not talking about letting circumstances reveal God's will, but let them confirm God's will. Look at Proverbs 16.1. We can make our plans, but the final outcome is in God's hand. Okay. If I let circumstances reveal God's will, then I'm always reacting to what's around me. This circumstance, oh, maybe that's what God wants me to do. I'm making a reaction. Oh, this circumstance, oh, maybe that's what God wants me to do. You understand what I mean? You're reacting. You're not being led by God. You're being led by the circumstances. What you want to do is don't worry about the circumstances. What you want to do is pray about it, ask for wisdom, search the scriptures and see what the Bible says, get that wise counsel from other people. You want to relax and trust that God's in control, be committed to doing whatever God wants you to do. You want to do those things, okay? And then through that process, looking at my gifts and talents and my passions, and then through that process, you make a decision based on everything I know from scripture, from getting the facts, from all, based on that stuff, now I feel like this is the direction what God wants me to go. And then you step there. And then what happens is circumstances can confirm it. When I was in college, my friends asked me if I would lead a Bible study. It was going to be five of us. And I knew it was a good thing to lead a Bible study. I didn't know if I was gifted to lead a Bible study. But here's what you can envision would happen. I said, okay, I'll... I'll go for it. If God wants it to work, he'll confirm it to me. And I could have started the Bible study with the five of us. The first week had five people. The second week, three people show up. The third week, it's me by myself, and I'm just having a personal time from God, with God. The fourth week, I, I say, I don't need to show up somewhere to do that. I can do that in my own room and just have, a, uh, have that personal time with God by myself. That could have happened, right? But God can also do things, because sometimes, you know, you try some, that's a good thing to try a Bible study, and you step out in faith, like, I don't know if that's really what I need to be doing, but I, I don't want to say no to something like that. It's a good thing. You should try it out. That could be the result. Does that mean that teaching Bible studies are bad? No. It just means that apparently that's not God's focus on my life right now. What happened to me is 
I said, okay, I'll do it. And five people showed up, including myself. Then the next week, there was 11 people there. I was just 19 years old at the university. I was one of the younger students. I was just a sophomore. And the next week, 19 people were there. I didn't know what was happening. I was getting scared that so many people. Next week, 26 people showed up. I said, we can't meet in my dorm room anymore. <laughs> you know, we couldn't get them in. So we moved downstairs to the study hall. I started it in February. By the end of the school year, we had uh, 60 people coming. And then what happened is we moved it to the next school year. We moved it to another room that was bigger. And we started with 40 people because some of the people didn't come back to school or they were seniors or whatever. But we start with 40 people. And by Christmas time, we had 100 people coming. Okay. The circumstances confirmed to me that it was the right choice. Like, I'm very glad that I started that Bible study. I started by faith. The circumstances confirmed, yes, this is the right thing to do. But I didn't start the Bible study because of circumstances. I started the Bible study because I prayed about it and I thought, come on. Guy's asking you to do the Bible study. Who's gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to something like that. I was a Christian already. I said, I'm not going to say no to something like that, even if it lasts one week. I'm not going to say no because I just felt like it would be the right thing to do. I studied the Scripture. You know, I already know that the Bible, wants, that God wants us to teach God's Word to other people when we have the opportunity. It, you know, all the biblical reasons, you know, counsel from others, they were asking me to do it. You know, they wanted me to teach them. So I just looked at everything. All the spiritual guidelines that you would have were pretty much there saying, go ahead and give it a try. I still had to take a step of faith because I had never led a Bible study before. So I took that step of faith, and then the circumstances confirmed it. People came back. They liked it, and it kept growing and growing and growing. So don't let the circumstances lead you. Let the circumstances confirm that God's working through that. I'm sharing all this to say God is not trying to play games with you. God is not saying, follow my will, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Wouldn't that make us just super frustrated? What kind of God are you? You say, follow my will, but you're not going to let me know what it is? Man, you, you just make me miserable. I, I'm, you're making me a failure, God. You're doing it on purpose. I mean, that's what it's going to make you feel like if he says, follow my will, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. That's not what God is doing. What God is saying is, I have a will for your life. Follow it. Search the scriptures, and you'll probably already know almost everything. Look at your gifts and talents, and you're going to know what you want me to do. Talk to people about it. You know, get counsel from other people. You know, check out all the facts before you get started so you, so you start well. And he gives you all that, and then he says, but even with all that, you're going to have some uncertainty, and you're going to have to take a step of faith. He's never going to remove that. Even with everything sounding good, you're still going to have to take that step of faith. And then you take a step of faith, and you try, and you see what God wants. But he's not in the business of frustrating you. He's saying, these are the guidelines I've set up. Use them, and you can know my will. And if you take a step of faith, and it's not working out the way you expected it to, God uses human error to guide us. To help me see it. Maybe it's something God wants me to do. And through this experience I have, I realize I'm not ready yet. I need to learn more about this and this and this. And if I didn't try it, I would have never learned to get ready. And I'd be sitting in a parked car. But because I tried it, I realize I'm not ready yet. And maybe it's going to be three or four months later that I spend time studying and everything before I'm ready to start. 
What if it's two years later that you're ready? What if God's calling you to something and it takes him eight years to prepare you to do it? But you start discovering what you need it because you start it now. If it's something that God's called you to be, it might take eight years. Sometimes you pray and hope it takes eight years. What if God's calling you to be a doctor? I doubt very seriously that you're going to start tomorrow, right? Praise God, he's going to use eight years to guide you and get you ready before you start working on my body, right? So delay isn't a bad thing. What's a bad thing is me sitting in the car doing nothing, waiting for God to tell me what to do. And God said, I've already told you enough things to do. Try something. Look at your gifts and talents. Look at your passions. Try something. Let's pray. Jesus, we're asking your spirit to direct us like you promised us. Lord, we want to live by faith. Lord, we want to take these guidelines that you have in Scripture to help guide us. But yet we're trusting you by faith as we go for it. You're going to continue to guide us. Even if we make mistakes along the way, we have confidence that you're using that to teach us and train us to ultimately get us to where we need to be. But Lord, we refuse to sit in a parked car. We're going to move. We're going to get going so that you can steer us in the direction that we need for our life. Maybe you're here today and there's a special situation in your life that's going on, and you're at a loss. You don't know what to do. Pray this along with me. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm asking for your guidance and your wisdom. By faith, I'm trusting that you're going to reveal it on your timing. I'm making a decision to relax and trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.